Blog Talk Radio. Women have the power to transform this world. We can end crime and violence if we all agree to do one thing. Share. Let's share our wisdom, share our time, share our talents, share our finances, but most of all, let's share our love. This is the female solution. Join me, Naima Latif, every morning, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Central Standard Time, as we bring you stimulating discussions about the issues affecting our lives. If you're listening online at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the dash female dash solution, press the blue button that says follow and get our daily topics every morning directly to your email and your smartphone. Hi, I'm Naima Latif, executive producer of the Female Solution Radio Show. We invite you to call in 515-605-9325 and participate in this daily think tank as we examine the challenges we face and develop solutions that restore peace and harmony. We are global transformers, changing the world from the way it is to the way it should be. We are one. Wherever we live on this earth, we are one human family. On behalf of our team of radio hosts, I'd like to extend a greeting to all the members of our family, whenever and wherever you may be listening around the world. To our family in China, Ni Hao. In India, Namaste. In Japan, Konnichiwa. In Korea, Annyeonghaseyo. In Russia, Zrastutsye. In Germany, Guten Tag. In Poland, Dzień Dobry. In France, Bonjour. In Spain, Hola. In Italy, Ciao. In Egypt, Athen Wasalan. In Ghana, Akwaba. In Nigeria, Peleo. In South Africa, Saobona. In Senegal, Nangadet. In Kenya, Jambo. In Israel, Shalom. In Pakistan, Afghanistan, and Saudi Arabia, Assalamu alaikum. Greetings, and may peace be upon you all. Greetings from South Korea. This is Naima Latif, and I'll be joining Soul Purpose Healing. And we're live at Seoul, South Korea, at the HWPL World Peace Summit, the ninth anniversary of the September 18th HWPL World Peace Summit. And we're going to join Diata, and we'll talk about the spiritual consequences on the body as we join this very spirit-filled global peace conference. Let's join Viata and Soul Purpose Healing. Hallelujah. Welcome, welcome everybody from YouTube, 
to Facebook, to Blog Talk Radio, I welcome you and honor you for being here on this very special night of September 17, 2023. Adds up to a six. So we are in store for some great revelation of human, earthly, wisdom, power, all of that. Thank you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are talking about tonight, and let me get my banner going here. Uh, we got a banner going tonight. We're talking about overcoming the demon on the path to spiritual maturity. So many things happened this week to bring me to this title, to this awareness, to this consciousness, to share with you, and for you to share with me. Because this is a topic that I welcome, welcome, welcome your own experience with the demons, the devils in your life. And we're going to hear from lots of people tonight on what does a demon really uh, amount to? What does that mean? You know, we used to hear back in the day, Elbow made me do it. How many of you remember uh, the comedians or the movies or the people in your life that expressed the thought that the devil made me do it, right? So when I thought about that, I realized that is such a great example of blame and shame on the devil. It's the devil's fault. I didn't do anything wrong. It was the devil's fault. So we went through that as immature spiritual beings. I would say uh, blaming the devil for our choices that didn't turn out so great or that uh, made people angry or triggered people or whatever. The devil made me do it. When the outcome was not favorable to you or positive to you or optimistic, the devil made me do it. So that's kind of a hint or the beginning of uh, maybe a narcissistic personality. Because narcissistic personalities tend to blame everything on anybody and everybody and not take personal responsibility. So tonight, we want to start with a definition. What is a demon? And I have got two Christian perspectives. We want to bring in the biblical, always for me, for those of you who don't know me, I was born in the church, literally. My grandfather was the pastor of the Church of God in Christ. So I spent many, many uh, summers, and even since I was a baby, so do you know where we gave it set up? My grandfather preached Holy Ghost preaching. And my mother called him a sanctified preacher of the Church of God in Christ. So I've heard those messages of Jesus and the Bible for many, many years as a child. And then I went to all the denominations, Methodist, Baptist, uh, Pentecostal, you name it. I've been in the church. Seventh-day Adventist. I, I explored all of them. And then uh, my, my family and I lastly were going to um, a Christian church, a denominational Christian church. And then I got out of the denomination. Mm-hmm. So, so, so I developed kind of my own opinion about religion, spirituality, and all that. So tonight. If I sat at the table, I, I had a table stand, so I could either. To spiritual maturity, that means no disease. So is there a, it's like if I sat at a table? That, they that, really, that really, we can, you can do that. It's spiritual maturity brings you to a 
a level of no blame, no shame, Are these people personal to certain people? responsibility or? that brings blessings galore, blessings galore. The, the scripture says discipline is life, and the creator in the scriptures, it says, I set before you life and death, choose life so that you and your seed can live. So we're learning to choose life, and choosing life, we don't blame other people for anything. We take personal responsibility. That's really tough for some because it's spiritual maturity. Not everybody's there. But on the way, we meet lots of demons, right? Demons, devils, you name it, whatever you want to call it. So let's start off tonight with a definition. And I've got three important viewpoints on this. Uh, What is a demon? Uh, What is a demon and do demons exist? And what are demons? Okay, so the first two are very Christian perspectives. They're very short. And um, I'm going to go from there to a longer uh, description on a spiritual note, what demons are. So this one, I believe, is from the exorcist. He performed, this guy says he performs exorcism. You remember the movie, right? It brings up all kinds of visions of, of these people uh, vomiting out. Her head yeah, turning into right? demons coming out, right? And somebody may have had that experience. So it could be real. But this is the definition that the exorcist, let's see, I think this is the exorcist gives us. What is a demon? Hey, Chris here from the Chris Stefanik Show, where we talk about how to live out God's plan for you each and every day in your everyday life in a way that makes you more alive and more joyful. Check it out. Uh, before we, we dive into the topic at hand, what is a demon? Uh, technically speaking, a demon is a fallen angel. So when the angels were first created, um, I don't know, we might have talked about this on one of the prior interviews, but um, they had what the, the, the saints called the th- first three instances. So the first instance is that they were angels created in a state of innocence and goodness, instantaneously in a full act of comprehension and knowing of who they are, who God was, etc. So they, they could see everything. Whereas, whereas we, we, it we takes slog years. through life. Yeah. And learn and grow or fall, yeah. and they saw it all with clarity. Instantaneously, yeah. yeah. And then the second um, instance is they made their choice. Are you going to follow what God is asking you to do or not? And then the third instance is uh, the reward. So either they were given the beatific vision or they were immediately damned. And so, and even in session, the demons will talk about these three instances. One of the things I, found, I find interesting is, is that in that first instance, Every single demon that would, that if you do any protracted period of time and you're trying to force him to tell you certain kind of information, you can force him to think about the delight he had in that first instance and in seeing how beautiful God's plan was. And that, that he, and yet he still chose against it, which is one of the reasons why they suffer so much, because they've given this thing up. So, and they try to keep their mind off it, but if you force them to think about it, they, uh, there's not a demon that won't cry over the whole thing, right? So they, they literally start crying. But so, de- so the demon is basically someone, he was a, a, an angel who was created good, who chose to refuse God's task, to the task that God was acting, asking him. And um, there's other things that go along with that, uh, that particular sin that they had, but they ultimately just refused to accept God's uh, assigned task. Now, what's interesting, though, is, is that their assigned task, who a demon is, his personal identity, his very nature, his essence, is his assigned task. 
So when he refused his assigned task, it was a perfect act of self-hatred. So they hate themselves too. Which is why when I hear people saying they hate themselves, I'm like, don't do that. That's what demons do. Oh. I just hard, it's hard to come, at, come back with another question here. I mean, that's like, <laughs> I, I just want to yeah. chew on that for a while. There's so much for the spiritual life in that. There is, yeah. Uh, because there's, there's so much that mirrors my, my own temptations or falls. That's like, mm. it's exactly what you see in them. Like, they, they don't right. just want to think things they think, but as they think. Right. And, and people think, you know, telling people to love themselves. That's just pop psychology. No, no, that's, that's a part of Christian life. Demons right. want you to hate yourself, to that's loathe right. yourself. That's right, yeah. Man, wasn't that great? Listen, if you don't want to be happy. Okay, so that was a, a, a description or definition of demons from a man who actually, or he's like a priest of some kind, uh, who does exorcists. And I thought it was interesting that the key points he pointed out were, number one, fallen angels uh, refuse to accept uh, the creator's task and self-hatred. That's really interesting. That's what he describes as, quote, demons or demonic activity. Interesting. Now, listen to this next uh, summary by another in, uh, or Bible-believing person, and it's almost the opposite. We're going to hear uh, what, what, are, uh, what are demon spirits is what he's going to tell us. According to Jesus, demons are disembodied spirits, which means that demons are not and cannot be fallen angels. What? 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 Which means that demons are not and cannot be fallen angels. Why? In other words, how do I know that? I know that because angels are not disembodied spirits. Angels have a celestial body, and they can also manifest themselves at times in a terrestrial body, in other words, a physical body. And I proved that to you several weeks ago when we talked about fallen angels having sex with human women. Even God has told us in the book of Hebrews that we ought to entertain strangers because many of you entertained strangers and they were actually angels and you were unaware of that. Yeah. So, if demons are disembodied spirits, they can't be fallen angels because angels have bodies. Now, let me take this a step further because Okay, now you got two Christians, two Bible-believing men uh, who are giving us two different definitions of demons or devils, right? One says they're fallen angels, that they refuse to accept uh, the Creator's task. Uh, the other, and he says that that involves self-hatred. If you hate yourself, you probably got a demon working in your life, right? The other one says they can't be fallen angels. Because angels have celestial physical bodies, and they are just embodied spirits. So they're spirits outside of a fallen angel. I'm confused. I'm confused. All right. So probably a lot of people are confused about demons these days, right? We've all been very confused about what is the demon. And yet we've heard people say, the devil made me do it. Why? Because the church, Christianity, religion has taught certain messages about demons. And we're going somewhere with this tonight, brothers and sisters, because on a spiritual path of maturity, we have to go inward. We have to go inward to understand, overstand, understand what demons really are. 
And so I have this beautiful teaching by a woman by the name of Teal Swan. Teal Swan is very spiritual. Some might call her a little new agey, but after those two confusing Christian point of views, we should all be welcome to hear some spiritual interpretation of what demons are. So I'm going to bring on uh, Teal Teal Swan uh, both on YouTube channel and in... Let's see, YouTube channel and in in our blog talk studio. So I'm going to be playing Teal Swan, very popular woman, spiritual messenger. Blah, she's amazing. And we're going to hear from her about do demons exist, and she's going to really break it down. She speaks of Baal or Baal. Um, she doesn't pronounce it the way many Christians do, but she's later in the video, she's talking about Baal, which is very exact, in my opinion, from my understanding and actual training of Baal and what that means. So let's hear, we've heard from two Christian Bible-believing perspectives. Uh, are they fallen angels? Are they disembodied spirits? There's some disagreement there, so we could have a debate on the clerical view, whatever. Let's listen to Teal Swan, see if you get some insight on this as we move forward to go inward to really understand uh, what demons are about, what that spirit is about, and what that energy is about. So here's Teal Swan. Demons have been prominent figures in religions and spiritual circles and cultures the world over for thousands of years. To generalize, people conceptualize of them as malevolent beings. And in contrast to angels or spirit guides, they're thought to negatively influence a person's thoughts and actions, as well as to bring about negative things. Straight out the gate, yes, demons exist, but they're one of the most poorly understood things in this universe. And the story of what and who they are challenges the standard narrative that's told about them. First, let's define what a demon is. A demon is a being that perceives itself to be disconnected from and separate to the greater universe and all other beings in that universe. As such, it could be said that a demon exists at the opposite side of the spectrum from love, in the vibrational range of isolation, fear, and powerlessness. The state of disconnection and the perception of separation from the greater universe what many people call God or source, causes a couple of key things to happen. First, because it is so profoundly out of alignment with the greater universe, it causes the being to be unable to take in its energy directly from the current of universal energy. This makes it so a demon's existence is dependent on taking energy from other things. Second, it causes this being to behave narcissistically, shall we say, Being disconnected from something, you do not personally perceive a negative impact as a result of playing a zero-sum game with that thing. And so, you could say that demons are the masters of the zero-sum game. Some demons are far older than humanity. A great many other demons arise from humanity and are very much attached to humanity and collective human consciousness. And demons definitely have varying degrees of energy and power. A demon comes to exist when a being within a system perceives itself to be powerless relative to what it needs and what it wants, and when it perceives the other elements of that system that it is a part of to be against its needs and wants and therefore its best interests. 
And so, instead of loved, it feels harmed. Instead of unified, it feels disconnected, and it decides to separate itself further by pushing away and becoming oppositional to what it perceives to be its adversary. Only this time, that adversary is the system of the universe at large and the other beings within that system. From there, unencumbered by the rule of not harming others, it begins to get its needs met in whatever way is most effective. And that way is usually harmful in some way to something. You could come to understand demons through the very simple act of understanding narcissism and codependency within the human race, in fact. If you want to learn more about this, you can watch my videos titled Narcissism and also The Truth About Narcissism and Codependency. So that you can grasp this concept of demons, I will tell you the origin story of a well-known and very specific demon that originated from humanity. The demon is Baal. Around the time that people started to settle land in early agricultural societies, the ruling classes began to see land ownership as a way to hold on to and increase their power and wealth. So many men wanted to own land, but so many men felt powerless to do so. Ownership was their ultimate desire, but they felt prevented from it by other men. So many men formed and shared thoughts, ideas, and concepts about their desired identities and outcomes regarding land ownership and later the ownership of desired things in general. This focus began to force a materialization of their sustained idea. Those thoughts took on a life of their own. They had created a thought form, a demon. Originally, this demon's name was Saru, a manifestation of the human ego's relationship to ownership. Then, an ancient king overthrew an ancient Sumerian emperor, and when this emperor died, his thought form was supercharged with unfinished business in the form of retaining the kingdom, which he believed was rightfully his. Again, unfinished business within the theme of ownership. His desire to reclaim his kingdom made him a perfect match to the demon Saru. Saru and this emperor entered into a contract, whereby Saru would assimilate the thought form of this emperor, becoming even more powerful and materialized in exchange for his participation in the reclaiming of the kingdom. It was soon after this assimilation that his name changed to Baal. Baal's superpower is ownership, and his desire for ownership is never quelled. This thought form was imbued with that perception that emanated from the collective consciousness from which it was born, including things like individual power of personal accumulation, slavery, the ability to control the weather so as to have the power to produce the most fruitful crops, supreme fertility, the power to overthrow other powerful men and take what was theirs. Adversarial relationship is a method to build wealth and increase one's own property and power, etc., etc. Baal began to form contracts with living people, granting them power to increase their ownership. And what he got in return was to rule through their rulership, to own through their ownership, as well as the right to feed energetically off of any and all resources that belong to them. Baal was behind the building of Sargon of Akkad's empire and so many empires and dynasties after him. He was also behind the breaking of so many empires when men wished to form their own independent kingdoms. In fact, he was behind the breaking up of many an empire that he himself helped to originally build. Baal is a strong enough thought form that he is often behind the building of empires, but I have seen Baal form contracts, even with children looking to rule over their schoolyards and members of HOAs looking to control what can and can't happen in their neighborhood, and businessmen who are serious about acquiring other businesses. So just one example of a contract with Baal might be as follows. Imagine that someone feels powerless to owning their own home. 
and then one of their relatives who owns a home is about to die. Ball may attach to this person's energy field and influence this person with the ability to garner the favor of others. Remember that this thought form has only gained more and more power to garner favor from every person who has interacted with him, many of whom possess this ability as a kind of innate superpower in their life. And with this contract, this person is now much more effective at using the power of gaining favor to persuade the dying relative to leave their house to them rather than to other members of the family. What makes people a match to ball is their willingness to play a zero-sum game to increase their ownership. And there are a great many ways that a person could increase their sense of ownership that are manipulative and that cause harm. What is important to understand is though human suffering in and of itself can be a motivation for a demon, specifically because human suffering might be a roundabout way of fulfilling a specific need they have, a demon is not looking to cause harm, in fact. They are perfectly fine to get a need met with no harm caused, but they get their reputation from their willingness to cause harm in order to get a need met. It's also important to understand that only some demons are traditionally scary. What I mean by this is, one demon, the one that we would call traditionally scary, might be a manifestation of horror. That demon might be the thought form of a person who is horribly abused in a human life and whom identified power with their abuser and with what their abuser was doing to them. This demon might attach itself to the human biofield of a person who is also in an abusive dynamic so as to imbue them with the capacity to use horror to intimidate and frighten other people away, thus ensuring their safety, something they feel powerless to get in a direct way. And in exchange, that demon can experience improvements to its own trauma through a kind of externalized power over the abuser dynamic. But let's look at another demon. Another demon might be a thought form that is the materialization of the desire for support built up in a family line across several generations of women. This demon may be something that lends energy to a mother in this family line to employ strategies, strategies like victim control dramas or guilt, to keep her daughter powerlessly enmeshed and force her to stay in the role of caretaker, no matter the consequences, to the daughter's mental and emotional health. And this demon will not be experienced as scary. Rather, it will be experienced as toil and as being held back. I find it amusing when people worry about demons and demonic influence. Firstly, because people are crawling with demons in the same way that they are crawling with spirit guides. Most people on earth have at least one, if not many, demonic contracts. What I mean by a demonic contract is that most people have a specific need that they are getting met through the assistance of a demon. This is usually a subconscious transaction that is taking place. And a transaction that though it is serving them in some way, is also causing them and or others harm. And second, People don't need to worry about possession or demonic influence any more than they need to worry about feeling powerless to getting their needs met directly, and any more than they need to worry about their own willingness to play zero-sum games. Because it is these things that make them a match to demons, to demonic influence, and to demonic contracts. If you don't want to be a match to demonic influence or demonic contracts, it is very simple. Don't act like a demon and use your free will and your power of choice. When people worry about demons, they seem to think that it is possible to be influenced or possessed by one regardless of what you're thinking and doing. And the reality is, it isn't. 
Demons do not have the power of assertion. People are perfectly capable of playing zero-sum games regardless of the presence of demons or lack thereof. What I'm saying is whatever it is, the demon didn't make you do it. Demons can't take away free will. And the demon is simply an amplification of a dynamic that is already occurring within you. You don't need to worry about exorcism or banishing a demon. Take your attention off of it. All you need to worry about is changing that dynamic within yourself that is making you a match to that demonic contract in the first place. Of course, it's very hard for people to admit that they're getting something out of demons. For example, the person in our previous example who had a demonic attachment that creates horror does not need to focus on getting rid of their demon. What they need to focus on is resolving their own feelings of powerlessness to the cruelty of others, and this includes coming up with direct strategies for creating safety. If they're able to meet their need for safety in another way, there is no opening for the demonic attachment to occur. When the preconditions for this contract remain, that hook is stronger, believe me, than any banishment or exorcism technique. Besides, if that precondition still exists, even if you are able to somehow get rid of a demon, another one will immediately take its place. And I'm going to give you a tip. Your greatest vulnerability to demons is your most desperate needs and desires. The lesson of demonic entities is to step out of the patterns of determinism that you're stuck in. There's no source of evil. We are the ones that are keeping them manifested and active. Black and white thinking leads you straight to ignorance when it comes to demons. People love to think of demons as bad and evil and wrong and malevolent. But this is such primitive thinking. Demons are not the malevolent spirits that you have been taught that they are. The reason behind what they are doing, however harmful, is always well-intentioned, in fact. Every demon has what we would judge as positive attributes also. In fact, you would be lucky to have them and their medicine in your life. They have immense value. But remember, anything of value may be used for the benefit of self and others or to the detriment of self and others. And to generalize, the value inherent in each demon is being used as some kind of detriment to something. But believe it or not, this can change. It might be interesting for you to know that many demons are assimilating at this time. Many are awakening and are reconnecting to the rest of the universe so as to take their place of alignment and symbiosis within the universal system and directly with certain people. They do not genuinely want to be separate from the universe and the beings and things that make up this universe. Did you hear that? Even certain demons are done with the zero-sum game and done with the pain that they are in being separate. In fact, some of them are appalled by human behavior. And as for those demons who are not choosing to assimilate or who don't even know it is an option, they are not the enemies of source or what you call God. They are not the enemies of expansion. Demons cause an amplification. Some people need things to manifest or to become clearer or to get worse in order for them to awaken or to make a different choice. For example, let's imagine that a man has a demonic attachment that's enabling him to control other people better. As that control amplifies and amplifies, he will experience the contrast inherent in that control. Not only will the positive elements of that control amplify, but so will the negative elements. So perhaps one day a negative amplification is that his wife and his kids leave him. He's now totally alone. That experience might just be the thing that causes him to decide the connection is more important to him than control, and this might lead him to learning about and mastering relationships. And this might change his entire life for the better. To learn more about this, you can watch my video titled The Lesson of Christ and Lucifer, Integrate Your Ego.
the most powerful thing you can do with regards to demons is to stop demonizing the demon. Stop giving away your power by blaming things on them. Instead, own them as you. Integrate them as your own shadow. That's exactly what they are. Anything else is scapegoating. And don't forget, there is always gold in the shadow. Instead of blaming the thoughts you have as thoughts being created by them, own them as your thoughts. Instead of blaming your urges on them, own them as your urges. Don't blame your actions on them. Those are your actions. Don't point at them as the reason that you could do what you did to someone. Own your own willingness to harm someone, including yourself, for the sake of getting what you want. Demons are the amplification of people's disconnection and therefore narcissism. You don't need to do anything about demons. You need to do something about your own disconnection and your own patterns of narcissism. Contracts with demons originate from the perception of powerlessness. To not be a match to a demonic contract, you need to meet your needs in a straightforward and a symbiotic way. Have a good week. If you liked this video, be sure to hit the like button, subscribe to my channel, and consider sharing this video with your friends. Woo, woo, woo. That was a lot, I'm sure. Um, so you have heard three beliefs or perspectives about demons, and um, I would love to hear which one of those do you resonate with or do you not resonate with them? And you have your own ideas about what demons are. But what our focus tonight is um, coming out of the devil made me do it mentality. Not spiritually mature at all. That's a very immature mental thought. The, the devil did not make you eat that chocolate cake. The devil did not make you cheat on your wife. No, as as Teal um, spoke, we can accept or not the reality that it's a shadow of yourself and uh, it's also actually scapegoating or you can believe that it's just a fallen angel that's fallen into your life and you don't have any choice about the matter because they're in your life and you, you're just in a whole demonic uh, environment. Or you can believe that the disembodied spirits are just everywhere. We don't have any choices and we're powerless to control these disembodied spirits. Or we can move more into a spiritual truth that, this contract she talks about is a subconscious contract, meaning what? Our childhood creates attitudes, beliefs, thoughts, realities that we carry on all our life until we come into a closer relationship with the Most High, with Creator, with Spirit, uh, Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. Until we get an awakening of more like what I believe that um, Teal is talking about, Teal Swan is talking about, this contract we have that helps us understand our own shadows, our own darker side, and our own subconscious healing that's needed. So uh, I don't see um, Naima Latif giving me a sign for commercials. So I'm going to go to a caller. Um, we have a caller, 336-350, and this is like Mama AZ. What's your uh, belief about demons, sister? Hmm. Um, Dr. V, can you hear me? We can hear you. 
Okay, this is very, very interesting. You never cease to amaze me, Dr. V, with uh, your shows and, and how you allow spirit to guide you. Uh, I agree with uh, Teal. I won't, let me see, maybe five, six years. Uh, I've been following her or been aware, made aware of her. And you really have to listen, family, to understand uh, what she's conveying, you see. Right. And one thing that I got out of that, me, myself, personally, Dr. V, is love. Yeah. Is love will counter all things, I mean, override all things. And, and uh, I'm going through uh, a situation with uh, the people here where I live, and it's, it's very challenging for me. However, the information that I have been getting for the past, week is just overwhelming. It's like, I mean, in a good way. With this show, uh, it, it just, it caps, and it, and it lets me know that I really must work on love. And I ask for this uh, to teach me, even though it, it, it hurts and it, 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 it's it's mentally uh, chaotic, but through this I am learning. Only thing that I need to do is take a chill pill and continue to communicate with the Most High and teaching me how to love these dear ones who appear to be demons, but actually they are not because we have a contract. We've made an agreement, and and uh, family, I'd like for you to go up on that contraption and get Neil Donald Walsh, Conversations with God. It, it's a little animated series that he's created, The Soul and the Sun. It's a, it's a cartoon, but it's, it's off the chain. And it talks about people in your life who bully you, people in your life who make it really tough. And it may be a challenge to get it around your head, but those people you agreed to come to the planet with to work on this, that, and the other, you see. And the only way you can get back to remembering is to love. And you talk to the creator. You have a reasoning with the creator 24-7 and ask, to be shown the correct way to deal with this. And I'm having to do that 
going on 72. And I am grateful that I allowed myself to be strong enough to be here to fight with this issue because it's teaching me how to love whether I want you or not, family. And that's what you got to do. But you look up Neil Donald Walsh, Conversations with God, man, the soul and the little son, and it talks about bullies. And for some reason, I've drawn this to myself here where I live, and i got to figure out, okay, how do I roll with this in love? It's another show. Uh, Dr. V, that we must do about conversations with God and being choosing the people that you involve yourself with. And I appreciate you being here, Dr. V, because I know we've had many, many lives together, you and I. And I'm Absolutely. grateful. I'm grateful. Thank us. I'm going to mute. Yeah, and we appreciate you too, uh, Mama Z. No, too many people that are as transparent as you are about your journey, which I'm sure there are lots of people going through what you're going through. So thank you for sharing and being so transparent. That's what we invite all of you to be tonight, transparent, so that we can help other people who are listening who need the wisdom, the knowledge, the courage that Mama AZ displays all the time uh, on this when she calls in. So I want to go into uh, the demonic spirits behind narcissism because uh, Teal mentioned narcissism, which was kind of a surprise to me. <laughs> Not really, but uh, it goes into the spirits behind narcissism. So if you have anyone in your life who you can um, recognize as, uh, having narcissistic tendencies, then this may help you uh, get free from it or not. But I want us to understand, understand the works of the demon, the energy of the demon in people who demonstrate uh, control and so many other uh, emotional uh, imbalances, I'll say. If you can recognize these things in the people in your life, you'll know what a demon looks like. I'm sorry, but that's the reality of it. I've, I've got plenty of experience with having people close to me who have this narcissistic energy, and it helped me to back away from my own narcissistic energy because we all got a little bit of it. It's a spectrum. And I recognize this. And when I recognize this in my own uh, self, I have to start fasting and praying because I don't want to have it. these demons in, in my life, in my, in my sacred temple. So I want you to hear what this Christian woman has to say about the demonic spirits in narcissism because we all have them in our life, but we rarely connect the dots. So let's connect the dots tonight. When we talk about demons, we got to talk about narcissism. 
So I'm going to bring this in in the Blog Talk studio. I've got it playing in the uh, sole purpose or in the video. Let's see, narcissism and Here we go. Why do narcissists mess with your mind so much? It's because your mind is Satan's number one target. If he can get in your head, he can affect and infect every other area of your life. And he starts by using the people closest to you. Well, hey, my friend, welcome back to another edition of the Building Faith Podcast, where it is my hope to bring you biblical solutions to life's tough challenges. So if you are being blessed by our time together, would you do me a favor and hit that subscribe and notification button? I'd greatly appreciate it. Narcissism is a deeply infectious personality problem that can affect and infect every area of your life. But did you know that there are actually demonic spirits that are driving that grandiose self-entitled behavior? You see, a narcissist is someone who has yielded to the demonic spirits that are driving their destructive behavior. And these spirits tempt the narcissist with a false sense of hope, strength, and control. And because the narcissist has such a deep sense of shame that they desperately try to avoid and cover up, they actually become easy targets for wicked spirits to have their way. The demonic goal is to not only destroy the life of those that they infect, but also the lives of those that are connected to the narcissist. And people they couldn't otherwise get to are now easy prey for these demons as the narcissist now becomes their Trojan horse. Their goal? To make you feel like you're going crazy and to get you consumed in the narcissistic behavior so that you have no time or energy to focus on God and his purpose for your life. Demons will use narcissists, number one, to jam up your receiving signal from God, number two, to keep you on an exhausting emotional roller coaster, number three, trap you in a toxic mental spiral, number four, deceive you into believing that as a Christian, you're somehow responsible for improving this person's behavior in the relationship. So to better arm you, let's talk about eight of the common demonic spirits that operate behind narcissists and how you can overcome. Number one is the spirit of witchcraft. You think witchcraft is limited to voodoo and black magic? You may want to think again. Behind witchcraft is rebellion and manipulation. And narcissists are master manipulators. And remember, the words of 1 Samuel 15:23. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Many will even refer to this spirit as the Jezebel spirit. Number two, the spirit of envy. Envy is a resentful dissatisfaction over what another person has, and its quiet cousin is covetousness. And scripture is clear, thou shall not covet. But narcissists always feel entitled to have what they don't. And Satan is the prince of envy. Envy actually may be the head demon, but there are several sub-demons that are operating here as well. Like murder, revenge, spite, anger, strife, hatred, cruelty, divisions, envy, competition, just to name a few. And number three is the spirit of confusion. There's just something sinister about confusion. 
It's a weapon that the enemy uses to unleash his attack through mental and emotional distraction and disorientation. It's designed to paralyze you with overwhelm and cause you to question the Word of God and even your own sanity. And this is the realm that narcissists love to play in as it takes the focus off of their diabolical behavior. Number four is the spirit of condemnation. Since deflection is the name of the game with a narcissist, it is no wonder that the spirit of condemnation is right there to encourage hateful accusations designed to find fault in their victims. Their aim is to create a sense of hopelessness within you through constant criticism and blame shifting. Number five is the spirit of control. Controlling people don't have anyone's best interest in mind except for their own. And they will seek to control the narrative, their image, and you, and will use mental and emotional tricks to get you to do their bidding. Angry, bitter, traumatized people are targets for narcissists, since their emotions can be so easily manipulated. And the spirit of control is also often referred to as a Jezebel spirit. And number six is the spirit of deception, a.k.a. a lying spirit. Narcissists are addicted to lying with their word salads, word shifting, truth avoiding, hollow flattery. The narcissist's only ambition is to exaggerate themselves and diminish you. And these spirits of deception open the door to other evil spirits like religious bondages, superstitions, false prophecy, accusations, gossip, slander, false teachings, and, of course, confusion. The narcissist is the bullhorn for Satan's lies. But Proverbs 12.22 reminds us that lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. And number seven is the spirit of pride. The spirit of pride operating in a narcissist is boastful and impatient as it strives to get its own way. It is the cornerstone of every narcissistic foundation. Their arrogant, stubborn, self-righteous, grandiose manner in which they carry themselves can be seen in a myriad of ways, ranging from the way they subtly and not so subtly attempt to exalt themselves their self-seeking style, and of course, we can't ignore that entitlement that just oozes out of their victim mentality. But Jesus was clear in Luke 14:11 when he said, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And number eight is the spirit of fear. The spirit of fear weighs heavy on a narcissist. Behind their false bravado is a scared, immature little child who can't function well in life. And although they come across as fearless, it's actually just a facade that they erect to get others to think that they have confidence where there is none. They carry intense shame that they cover up and they look for targets who are insecure and easy to manipulate to give the appearance of courage, but the truth is they are riddled with fear, and that's why they try so hard to control and manipulate you. So my friend, what do you do? Well, number one, 
The command can be summed up well in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Number two, if the damage has already been done, I want to encourage you to get the healing you need and to trust God again. And not be so vulnerable to these people in the future. If you need counseling, I want you to be sure to check out our sponsor. That woman just listed the extreme narcissist. And I think if we're honest, some of us can agree that we've had some controlling spirit in us at one time. I know as a parent and with my young children, I was very controlling. And that's why to this day, many many, uh, children, adult children, resist their parents' influence, right? Because we were too controlling as parents in their young life. I admit it. I'm taking full responsibility for my controlling ways because of a childhood that was somewhat dysfunctional with an alcoholic parent. So I take full responsibility for that. And I observe my adult men, children, and their behavior resisting my wisdom and my suggestions, I observe it without judgment most of the time. And I realize that I have to allow them to work through their resistance, uh, their, uh, their resentment, really, their resentment that I was so controlling. And that's what happens with a lot of mothers these days who are Control. Now, if you have people in your life who demonstrate all eight of these characteristics, manipulation, envy, coveting, confusion, bringing mental distraction, condemnation, criticism, criticism, and more criticism, control, angry, bitter, uh, deceiving, lying, 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 all of you out there who continue to tell these lies to people, uh, that's a spirit of demonic influence and pride, boastful, always boasting about what you're doing. Look at me, look at me, look at me, and then fear. That's a serious uh, narcissistic energy on the spectrum. You've got some of us in the middle, some of us over here who rarely demonstrate these, uh, these uh, emotional tendencies, and then you've got those with all eight of those. That's some serious demon work there, Okay. It's not like a little red devil is going to come out and and uh, announce itself. You got it right there in the person in your life demonstrating that spirit. So if you have any comments or questions on Facebook, by all means, post your comments on Facebook and we'll uh, try and answer them. Uh, Blog Talk Radio, you know the routine. Press 1 if you have a question or comment. And we're going to continue on with overcoming the demons on the path to spiritual maturity. We want to go inward now, more inward to understand, understand, let's say understand the pineal gland. The pineal gland plays a major role in helping us overcome demons. The pineal gland actually vibrates 
with a crystal element in it. So I want to play for you uh, some information about your pineal gland because we're going inward now. We've we've looked at and talked about the outward expression of demons, whether it's uh, disembodied spirits or fallen angels or subconscious contracts or scapegoats or your shadow that comes uh, to play in your subconscious. But going inward, the pineal gland is really key. And I'm, I'm learning more and more about that and I'm getting excited about it because what that means is you are such an amazing vessel of power and light and energy that you can overcome demons when you shift your pineal gland vibration into action. And how does that happen? Mostly through meditation. Mostly through uh, submission to responsibility of the role you have played in other in your life that demonstrated all these demonic activities. That's why we're going over a few of the beliefs about demons, what it means to us, what it means to others. And now as we go inward, we're going to connect for you the inner dynamics of this sacred vessel, which means a lot more to me than ever before as I've learned more and more about this connection to my pineal gland and my gut, my microbiome, which we'll get into as well, the gut-brain connection. This is the pathway, the gut-brain connection. When you start feeding your gut the trillion microbes, the pineal gland gets activated in the journey to know yourself in this way. So let's hear, listen a little bit about what the pineal gland In 2002, Israeli researchers made an astounding discovery. They discovered that there's two types of crystals on and in the pineal gland, and that these crystals actually are tuners or resonators that if stimulated by sound, these crystals have the piezoelectric effect. They release a positive charge. And this is quite amazing because meditators or people who have ever had an experience where they see a flash of blue light, for example, have experienced the pineal gland under a positive charge because we now know that the sound waves are converted by the pineal gland into blue light. What do we feel? when the pineal gland is activated, or when we are entering expanded states. We're just listening and letting our body become into coherence with that which we're listening to safely. We're not activating what's called the amygdala in the brain, which means fear. We now are safe and we're vibrating, right? And so we're not judging, we're not in that state of mind. We've completely transcended our default mode network. We would say we're inside the sound. If you have pictures of Emoto, it looked like that in your head. All these ripples are moving through the inner ocean inside of you. The pineal gland itself will become, is like a tuning fork that just shakes like this, right? And it basically causes a spiral effect. That's what Raymond Moody, when he talks about death and dying, people move through this corridor drawn by sound. Basically, we're now able to ascend in octaves 
to different states of and different perceptions of reality. But while we're still in this state of earthly existence, we each have a purpose and decisions to make. We're all fated to walk this path in life, and the path is fated to land us at a fork. And when we arrive at this fork, I have to make a decision, which fork am I going to make? And this one over here is the tugging of my heart and my soul is telling, go that way, go that way. It's going to make the best use of you. The universe says yes to you. This way is the path of safety. Adults in my life are saying, grow up, get a job, work for safety, uh, lay away some money on the side for your retirement. Most of us do that. Others take the road less traveled and enter into the universal hero's journey to find the meaning of my soul. And when I come to that fork, that's this right fork. I can't see how it's going to work, but it pulls me. This is when the synchronicity starts. It's the universe's job to step in and open the doors, turn the lights green, make everything serve to further. It becomes this flow. It becomes this synchronized, serendipitous adventure that you never know what's going to happen. Is there a way to tune ourselves into the cosmic blueprint so that we're more inclined to take the hero's journey? The modern word for being in tune for a person saying I'm in tune or an athlete saying I'm in the zone is neural coherence because our neuronal system neurons are vibrating right and so therefore when we have coherence they are vibrating together in unison. <laughs>